I am as sore as I expected to feel. Like I was telling the, the, the team you know, all week, it, come game time, it'll be a different deal. Day one of the 86th Masters Tournament is in the books and what a day it was, my goodness. Hello there, Michael McEwen here on the latest episode of the Masters Commute in association with Titleist. Thank you very much for tuning in. Speaking of tuning in, I have to assume that you've been tuning in to, as I say, day one of the Masters. It was incident-packed, full of drama, full of excitement, full of good shots, bad shots, all of the ingredients that we've come to expect from this incredible tournament. What a start to the men's golf season. Real start, because there are other events, but this is the real start. So, hope you enjoyed it. We're going to recap that on today's episode, and I'm delighted to say I've roped in yet another contributor. This is a long-time pal of mine. We have known each other on Twitter for years, and then we met each other at tournaments, and we realised, actually... We've got quite a bit in common after all, not least the fact that he's from the UK. He might live in America, but he really is one of us. Luke Cardenine from Golf.com. Hello and welcome. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's it's funny when you look back. I think we first met, at least on Twitter, in 2013. It's as far back as that. It's almost, almost 10 years. We were young bucks back then. I know. We'll need to do something next year to celebrate the 10-year anniversary. The, 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 the patrons will be clamouring for that, so absolutely. Great use of the words patrons, you can tell where you are. <laughs> so how has your week been up till now? Look, it's, it's been busy, I would, I would assume. Yeah, so far so good. Obviously very Tiger-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing that Nary, eight days ago, the idea of Tiger playing in this event was completely off the table, and now... We're just trying to figure out how it's all happening, you know, how he's putting his body back together and in shape. That's been something I've been focusing on, you know. I focus a lot on the golf swing and yeah. trying to figure out how it works. And hearing Tiger talk relatively candidly about it and his body has been a real fascination of mine. Yeah, if you don't follow Luke on Twitter, I highly recommend that you do because your insights, not blowing smoke here, but your insights are fantastic. Tell me, there's been a lot of talk about Tiger the man, Tiger the golfer, Tiger the physical specimen, if you like. What have you seen in his golf swing so far this week that has impressed you or given you cause for alarm? What have you noticed? So a big thing that Tiger has talked about is that the combination of his back being just faulty and his leg having so much hardware in it means that he really struggles to like turn to load on the backswing costs some power costs some accuracy also it sort of throws off the entire sequence of his golf swing you know so that's been a big uh cause of focus or a big point of focus for him um that's why he changed shoes you know he's not wearing nike shoes this week he's wearing foot joy shoes because he says that allows him to like turn more to load more on his backswing when he does that he hits good shots when he doesn't do that he generally misses it left, hits that double cross. So when you see Tiger Woods missing it left, just remember that's because he's not loading on the backswing and he'll trot up in front of the media and say, yeah, that's my miss. That's the really, that's like the deadly miss that he's trying to guard against at all costs. We only saw that maybe maybe a couple of times at most. Certainly the drive in 14, he, he pretty much drop kicked that one, mm-hmm. didn't he? But managed to recover pretty well. And if you look at what Tiger shot today, you know, uh, was uh, a one under round of 71. The fact that he was under par in itself, you know, only four shots off the lead held at this moment in time by Sung J. Um, as I'm looking at the leaderboard now, I'm shaking my head and laughing because Tiger Woods is tied for 10th in the Masters. 
this, I feel, has probably exceeded even the expectations of the most idealistic daydreaming Tiger Woods fan, what he did today. It's unbelievable. I mean, if I'm a guy like Rory McIlroy or John Rahm and I see a 46-year-old with one and a half legs <laughs> come on and... and a back it, that's fused together. Exactly. The back was a huge cause, cause for concern for years and years with Tiger Woods and now we barely talk about it because it's a <laughs> secondary concern to the leg. I mean, it's incredible what he, he's doing and it's just so funny that... 2022, you know, more than 25 years after he first burst onto the scene, we're still talking about Tiger Woods. He's still doing these amazing things. He figures out a way to do the impossible. It's It never gets old because it's just this like story that keeps evolving. That is so true. It never, ever gets old with Tiger Woods. I know there are probably some people listening to this and thinking, oh God, you're talking about Tiger again. There are 91 players in the field. Let me be as clear as I possibly can this guy nearly died 14 months ago, nearly had his leg, or legs indeed, amputated. And he is here with the best golfers on the planet. And currently, there are only nine of them who are outscoring him. Albeit it's after one round, but only nine are outscoring him. What Tiger did today was genuinely quite incredible. Here's a little sample of what he had to say after that round. As far as the, the good stuff... The, the finish in the red today uh, after as long a layoff as I've, I've had and not being in competitive golf, you know, I, I don't really consider, you know, a, a scramble in the PNC, a, 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 you know, it is competitive, but it's, it's not like this. This is totally different. Uh, but to, to play this golf course and to do what I did today uh, to make the – to hit the shots in the right spots, you know, I, I know where to hit it to a lot of these pins and I'm missing the correct spots and give myself good angles and I did that all day and I was able to make a few putts and end up in a red like I am right now. I'm only three back and I know we got a long way to go. This golf course is going to change dramatically. Um, cooler, drier, windier. Um, you can hear the sub airs on out there. So uh, this golf course is going to change and it's going to get a lot more difficult. Yeah, great insight there from Tiger. He is clearly in good spirits. As we record this right now, Luke, it is 8pm on Thursday evening here at Augusta. If Tiger hasn't spent the last hour, two hours in an ice bath, there's something quite far wrong. You have to think that he's just going to be chilling out as long as he possibly can ahead of getting his round underway later tomorrow. And that's significant too, isn't it? Absolutely. And he, he went into some detail about this. You know, he's talks, He talks about how both his warm-up and his cool-down before he gets to the course take hours now. He says he heats it all up, cools it all down, he tests it out. If it's not where he wants it to be, he just basically restarts that process. And then he says, you know, these young guys, like I used to be, used to just kind of roll out of bed, go to the range, hit a thousand balls, feel great. That's just not the reality <laughs> that Tiger's working with now. So it really is a very huge, it's really for the first time in his career, he's, he's you know, his, uh, the circumstances have really humanized his, uh, himself, I think. The obvious question is, what, what's he going to do now? You know, can he go on and contend? Did I even say it? Can he win? I guess only time will tell and a lot will depend on his physical condition when he wakes up on Friday, how well it goes in the range. Although, interestingly, he said he had a terrible range session before his round today. He's one of us, after all. It turns out that, you know, however you perform in the range, the opposite is true on the golf course, it seems. But what are you expecting to see from Tiger today and hopefully beyond into the weekend? Uh, 
Look, Tiger only hit nine greens today, and he looked in pain for midway through his round. I've also heard, I, I can't verify this, but I've also heard he's like hasn't walked back to back. 18 hole rounds yet. Oh, really? So, this is gonna, so we're going to get a look at that tomorrow. Um, he talked about being sore. There's no way around that. He's talked about the adrenaline helping him compensate for that. But it would. I'm done counting Tiger Woods out as a general rule, but I think it's going to be a hard ask to say that he's going to keep trending up. I think that as the as the conditions start to sort of make their way or you know, even themselves out across all the players in the field, uh, I think his body is not going to you know, continue responding, just going to get naturally tired. He's already done himself proud. And, um, but I, I, I would be amazed if he, you know, just kind of continues to creep up this leaderboard as things, you know, sort themselves out in the first two rounds. It's meant to get colder as well over the next few days. How significant is that from a, a physicality point of view? Yeah, I mean, it, when we think about it from our own perspectives right like when things get colder everything locks up a little bit you know you get stiffer your you, your range of motion you can't stretch as far all this sort of stuff and we're all moving at far slower speeds than even a guy <laughs> like tiger woods so you know when he's moving when he's moving that club around at you know hun- touching 115 miles per hour it's uh, he's just not going to be able to move the club around 150 miles per hour. And when you're sort of already bleeding speed and, and, and not really feeling like your body's in the shape that you want it to be, it's just going to disproportionately affect him more than a guy like a Sung J.M. who's at the top of the leaderboard right now. Yeah, like you rightly say, Sung Jay is there. So let's have a look at the top 10 as it stands. Sung Jay is minus five. Then got Cam Smith, who is at four under. It's a bit of a sloppy double bogey to finish his round. He actually started with a double as well, but he is on four under. Danny Willett, my goodness, the, the 2016 champion, the man who vanquished the hopes of Jordan Spieth and most of America back then. He's on three under alongside Joaquin Neiman, who played with Woods today, and Scotty Scheffler. Dustin Johnson in there as well on three under. Bad bogey for Dustin coming in. He was four under, I think, until he got to 17. Gave one up there. I said this last night to myself. Look, I hastened had. I was in the hotel room. It hadn't stopped raining for about six hours. It didn't look like it was going to stop raining for another 12. And all I could think was, these are DJ conditions. The course has definitely softened up from Monday, you know, when we first turned up. DJ... even though he has two it feels that there's still a big question mark over him in the major championships he's struggling to shake off the flat track bully tag isn't he can he mount a charge and you know add a second green jacket and what would that be 16 months i i i love watching dj play golf so i I hope he does because he feels more like a three, four, maybe even five major winner to me. I think that ship has sailed at this point, but I would like to see him get more than two. Um, he hasn't been playing that well this season, and he's not actually even playing that well right now, frankly. Uh, he, he he bogeyed, I think, the 17th hole, finished at three under. He uh, only hit two drivers, by my count, on the course today. He was th- hitting three wood everywhere, and that's because he just doesn't have confidence in his driver, and that's a scary proposition when you talk about DJ who he is like the driver that yeah. is the bedrock of his game and we don't ha, doesn't have confidence in that he's talented enough to make it work but you know that's a that's a tell right whip through media only answered a few questions and then went straight to the driving range again interesting something so some sometimes that's also a tell so it, these to me don't speak like a guy who's peak form but 
he's also incredibly talented, so you never quite know. If you look a little bit further down the leaderboard, there we have on two under and a tie for seventh currently Jason Kokrak, Corey Connors and Patrick Cantley just creeping up the leaderboard there. And then we've got a bunch of guys on one under and a tie for tenth. Amongst them, obviously, Tiger Woods. You've got Tony Fino in there, Webb Simpson, Harold Varner the third making his debut, Will Zalatoris, who was second on his debut last year. His putting stroke... And Luke, you're the best person to speak to this. Not because I'm suggesting you have putting struggles by any means, but because you understand these things from a technical point of view. His putting stroke gives me nothing but fear, nothing but sleepless nights. How is he able to produce those numbers, shoot those scores, when clearly he has issues? It's it's really quite amazing. I mean, we've all seen these clips on Twitter floating around of him just doing this bizarre loopy stroke. You know, he works with this guy, Scott Fawcett, a lot, who kind of invented this course management strategy called Decade Golf. In a nutshell, it's that the easiest way to gain strokes on everybody is to play incredibly safely, is to like actively figure out how to not lose them. You know, so he always says, like, you want to be playing to the center of the green, forget the pins. And one of his like bedrock principles is that you really need to focus on your speed above all else on the greens. And Zalatoris, who is basically even in strokes gained putting despite this disaster stroke of his um and that's because he is incredibly he, he focuses a, uh, a lot on speed control and so you know speed control from 15 feet 10 feet 20 feet 25 feet and he sort of gets himself in this gimme range and even though he's not particularly good from that gimme range he's still knocking in 95 plus percent of these putts inside sort of two and a half feet if he was a worse lag putter and left himself with more three and a half four five footers then we wouldn't see him be able to put together these scores if that makes sense yeah it certainly does so i think i understand what you're saying basically he's very good at 99 percent of the game is that is that in a nutshell if if i was to be that reductive about it exactly he's really good ball striker hits the ball far and he sort of cozies his birdie, he doesn't make a lot of his birdie putts, but he cozies them to gimme <laughs> range just enough. Yes, exactly. Brilliant stuff. Lots more analysis to come on the opening day here at Augusta National right after this. It takes great determination and perseverance to qualify for a major championship. It also takes complete trust in your golf ball. That's why the majority competing at this year's Masters will be teeing up the Pro V1 or Pro V1X. For them, earning an invitation is just the beginning because the passion, desire, and commitment to be your best never ends. Titleist, the most played ball at the Masters and the number one ball in golf. Welcome back, Masters Commute here, day one of this year's tournament in the books. Michael McEwen joined by Luke Cardinin of Golf.com, LKD as he's known on Twitter. I've asked this question to everyone we've had on the show so far this week, Luke, and you are no different, you're getting thrown under the bus as well. It's my wife's favourite part of the show, I hasten to add, she is at home in Scotland listening to these because she supports me in what I do, and... How can I put this? I I guess it's the Gordon Ramsay part of the show. Augusta is famous for its delicacies, the unique food and so on that it has. I've got my favourites. What is your go-to when it comes to Augusta food? So 
I'm a hardcore apologist for pimento cheese sandwiches. You're the guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> and I thought this was the mainstream position, but apparently I'm like in the minority here, it seems like. It seems like a lot of people don't like pimento cheese. It's, and you'll get this reference, being from the UK, it's Marmite, effectively, <laughs> it isn't is. it? It really is. It's like America's version of Marmite. <laughs> and I just love it. I mean, I've had like four pimento cheese sandwiches today. I can't stop <laughs> eating them. And it seems like everybody else is like, oh, you know, I can manage one maybe and it's amazing so what's so good about it as, as i've said on previous episodes i'm lactose intolerant so Ugh. i'm never going to get to try it and people say either you don't know what you're missing i'm like well, you can't miss what you've never had and other people say lucky you you've got an excuse for never having to take one what's good about it why do you like it so it's like it's basically just cheese mixed with cream cheese and mayonnaise and some like pickle juice basically um pickle juice yeah that's like the secret ingredient in a lot of pimento cheese stuff and of oh, course right. pimento peppers so it kind of gives this sort of like you know it gives this like umami spicy fatty sort of combination of things um the people who don't like it say it tastes a little chalky um which i, I can i can get it does have sort of a slight chalky flavor to it some people also take issue with the texture they say it's like too squishy you know you, you put it in a you put it in soft white bread and then you have like basically sloppy cheese because it's not a firm oh, no. cheese it's like a it's like if you had it's like a bit like if you had like a burrata sandwich or something it's like so uh, those are the two criticisms i think they're wrong on both counts for the record um <laughs> but but that's the that's the that's the case against pimento cheese. Squelchy bread is awful. <laughs> there aren't many foodstuffs worse than squelchy bread. You know when you go to, for example, let's say Subway, and you pack the sandwich full of stuff, but you don't eat it straight away. Let's say you've got a 20-minute walk, you get on the train, then you open it up, and it's just soggy. That is one of the, the great disappointments. So more power to you if you're able to stomach a sandwich like that you are you are one of the few people i've met so far who likes pimento it's, cheese it's amazing i i can't believe it. it's like the icon of the masters pimento cheese i i, I do i i will give a shout out to the uh the masters barbecue sandwich oh it's good it's really good yeah it's really good um i've had one of those today too but pimento <laughs> cheese it, 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 that is the king for me and, and there's no taking off it Classic chicken's where it's at. Classic as long as you've got hot sauce, mm. dry otherwise. Yeah, it is. And don't get me started on the sausage biscuit. Oh, I haven't, that, I haven't actually tried one of those. It's not a biscuit. It's mm. it's basically a scone with sausage meat put in the middle of it. Uh, obviously, Americans call scone something different. So I opened it up and it was not what I was expecting. I do think, you know, I think I'm an authority on this in some ways because I've lived in the UK, lived in America, <laughs> and I think the sausage standard in the USA is pretty, pretty grim compared oh, to yeah. compared to the UK. And bacon, bacon is a disaster over here. It's 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 not even it's not even bacon really. It's like crispy grease. Crispy grease. Yeah, basically, it's the sort of stuff that you'd give to your dog. Yeah, it yeah. really is. And it, the dog would probably turn up its nose at it as well because, yeah, you know. Yeah, like, you know, they don't have bacon butties over here because <laughs> the bacon couldn't, you couldn't put it in a sandwich. It's just, it would crumble <laughs> apart. It's, uh, it's very disappointing. It certainly is. We could talk about food, I'm sure, for, for hours more. Let's have a look at some of the other scores today. And I've actually gone straight to the bottom of the leaderboard. 
for reasons that will become clear. So we're currently left with 90 players. Paul Casey withdrew before his round with some injury issues. He's been battling, it feels like, for, for quite a while now. But propping up the leaderboard on 10 over par is Scotland's Sandy Lyle, a winner here in 1988. Sandy actually to chip in at the last for birdie to salvage an, an 82 from an 83. The reason that I want to bring this up is because, obviously being Scottish, I've had quite a lot of people tweet me over the last few hours, Luke, saying, why is Sandy Lyle continuing to play in the Masters? Surely it's time to hang up the clubs and give someone else a go. The one thing that I see routinely is he's taking up somebody else's spot. That's nonsense, isn't it? True nonsense. I mean, that that's and that's something that the Masters will really push back on you as the tournament they'd say no no you win here you get a ticket for life that's part of the deal uh, look if, if sandy lyle uh feels like he can enjoy himself put on a show like i i'm never gonna tell a former green jacket winner that he, he should step away from it and especially as a european myself and a huge nick faldo fan mm-hmm. and nick faldo used sandy lyle as the as the measuring stick for him you know before before he started winning majors and after it too i think you know seeing sandy lyle win a masters before him was a big deal to nick falder so always holds a special place in my heart and i always enjoy seeing him teeing him teeing up exactly if for no other reason than you get to see a guy from scotland wearing a waterproof jacket wide open as well or barely zipped in obscene heat i mean as a scot myself i, I watch that and i think I just have nothing but admiration. How can you possibly cope in that heat with that jacket on? I didn't notice today or not if he was wearing the, the braces that he's been wearing the past couple of years here. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But yeah, I, I find it slightly funny that people seem to want him to, to hang up the clubs. I, I don't really get that. I mean, I'm looking at some of the other past champions here, like VJ. He shot a 6 over 78. Larry Mize, 5 over 77. Bernard Langer, 4 over 76. I mean, it feels like there's a... I, I get it. The, the guys aren't competitive in the true sense anymore, but equally, look at Bernard a couple of years ago. You know, he put in a great run. It's, there's something charming about seeing these guys playing in this event, and it's a one-off. You know, it's not like every major's like this. Yeah, and, and the two things that I would always push back on somebody saying this, like, oh, so-and-so shouldn't tee it up, is that, look, the, they say that the Masters is easy... is the easiest major to win um but that's only if you're in the field and it's actually very hard to get into the field and that's why giving well giving a spot having someone uh, giving a lifetime spot to someone like sandy lyle or jose maria lothabo even though they're not going to win the masters is quite a charming masters tradition in my eyes is that it's really hard to get into this event if you're a current pga tour player but once you've proven yourself a green jacket winner they take care of you. you yeah. know? And that is a true, like, Masters... That That is what Augusta National does, right? Yeah, it, it's a privilege you should be entitled to. Exactly. And they will, like, stand by that. They say, no, like, you want a Masters. Winning a Masters is incredibly important. We are going to take care of you. And meanwhile, you can have a good a good players um, putting together solid seasons, not getting into the event. And that's because they haven't earned that privilege. And Augusta just always comes back to, like, you win a green jacket... You are special. You've earned a certain amount of latitude. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I want to touch on Bryson. Four over 76 today. He's currently in a tie for 70th. Look, you know 
Bryson pretty well. You've, you've worked with him a, a fair bit over the past few years. I got some heat tonight on social media for daring to suggest that I feel a bit sorry for Bryson at this moment in time. And the reason I said that was because he's... In his press conference the other day, I, I, I thought he was a bit subdued. It's not the the effervescence that's been there in Bryson over the first few years, if you like, of his pro career. That seemed to be absent the other day. I don't know if that's a, a, a bit of a regular thing at the moment. But also he's dealing with, clearly, uh, a number of injury issues. And for somebody who takes the game as seriously as he does, and for whom golf appears to be correct me here if I'm wrong, but it appears to be the number one thing in his life and there's an, it's not even like there's a close second. I can't help but feel sorry for him when he's dealing with what he's dealing with. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I know, so full disclosure, I know Bryson quite well. Um, he's a playing editor for Golf Magazine, so, you know, we write instruction columns with him, um, we do all sorts of stuff with him. He's made all sorts of mistakes, which has obviously shifted this public opinion against him in some ways, but he's also, like, guy who's learning and he will also hold up his hand and say look i made a mistake here one of the worst parts about social media is that it like encourages people to pile on and in some ways incentivizes it so that's kind of the context in which bryson is kind of currently in right now what you're seeing with bryson is a really talented young golfer who is playing hurt i mean his coach told him point blank i don't think you should play this week his surgeons and his doctors said I don't think you should play this week. His injury is sort of a baseball injury because he's been speed training so hard. He broke a bone in his left hand and he tore his lead hip, both a result of speed training, basically, and just and not just speed training, but the fact that Bryson is really bad at taking time off. And this mm-hmm. is the first time in his career ever, junior, college, early pro career, he's been injured. And so he's having to go through that right now and learn like oh my god i'm not invincible that's like currently where bryson's head's at he's swinging hurt he's not hitting it as far all all sorts of stuff is going on and personally i never enjoy seeing or let me put it this way i never enjoy rooting against any player Mm -hmm. who is playing hurt and you know what you may not like bryson but i think at least you can respect that the guy wants to win the masters loves this loves this game, loves this event enough that he's willing to tee it up even though it's painful every time it's away. Now is that a gutsy decision on his part and something he should be commended for or is it a dumb decision and something he should be taken to task for? I mean, personally I wouldn't recommend it but I think if Tiger Woods is any indication or Bryson is that these guys are just hardwired differently they're not rational people you know in many ways they're irrational winners they think they can do stuff that nobody else can like get onto the PGA Tour and then they do it and then they win I mean the odds of that are astronomical but that's what they make their trade doing so when somebody looks them in the eye and says Bryson you're hurt you shouldn't play uh, he just thinks like, no, no, I can, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And it, it's, it's, it's just part of what goes into these professional athletes in all sports, I think. It's that they just can't say no. They need a challenge to rise to because of that like innate level of competitiveness. That's very true. Do you think that Bryson's week is going to be ending prematurely? He has obviously some work to do. It might not be the worst thing if he did miss the cut. Yeah, I think... Uh, 
Yeah, I think he's going to miss the cut. I think um, he's probably going to... He, he's kind of prepping himself for maybe needing to have surgery on his okay. his left arm, which would probably put him in a real race to, to play in the US Open. Um, if I were Bryson, and I would suggest, like, you should be looking at the Open Championship, yeah. a course that really suits a healthy Bryson, yeah. and just go laser-focused on that. Exactly. All that talk as well of what's Bryson going to do to the old course imagine he wasn't able to take his place. Actually, love him or loathe him, I think everyone would rather see Bryson at St Andrews because what a fascination that is going to be. Look, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining me. I know it's been a very busy day for you. I think we're both feeling a little bit weary now and there's three more days still to go. So thank you very much indeed for joining me. Pleasure to catch up with you as always. And that is it indeed. So we'll be back with another Masters Commute this time tomorrow. Round two, by that point, we'll know who's made the cut. And things will be starting to come a little bit clearer at the top of the leaderboard. We might have an idea as to who it is that's going to be contending for the green jacket come Sunday afternoon. So stay tuned for that. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye for now.